0: Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin. We will have Mike Zavagno of FearTheSword.com and the Cabalytics podcast in just a minute. But first, if you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to The Nail on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And we'd really appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the show. Tell your friends, share our posts on Facebook and Twitter, leave us a review on iTunes. It all helps and we really appreciate it. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the nail podcast. We're on Twitter at the nail podcast. And we are also on waitingfornextyear.com. All right, with that bit of business out of the way, let's roll. The nail in the coffin. Right, it's The Nail. I'm Tom. He's Travis. It's Thursday night. We, uh, we took last week off as I was traveling for work, and honestly, I was sick for most of the week. Not good times, but thankfully, I've bounced back. Trav, how are you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing pretty well, man. I got my sickness out of the way like four or five months ago, so I'm good.
0: Yeah, let me tell you about the only thing worse than having an extended trip for work is being sick the entire time. Um, normally, when I head out of town for things like that, I like to bring some sort of souvenir back for uh, my daughter. And this one, I wanted absolutely no memories of this uh, trip at all to Atlanta. So, uh, well ATL, nothing against you. But uh, yeah, we're going to have to do better next time because that was not great. But uh, yeah, yeah. I will tell you what is great. Um, Playoffs starting this weekend. I'm uh, I'm excited about this. How about you?
1: Yeah, very much so. It seems like, I don't know, maybe maybe we'll be proven wrong, but I think we're probably expecting a little more interesting uh, series out of the Cavs maybe than we're used to. And in general, out of the Eastern Conference, I think it's it's, everybody sort of anticipating it should be a pretty good, uh, pretty good first round all around.
0: I think so. Uh, We're going to have lots to talk about and to help us do that. We have a great guest tonight, Mike Zavagno joining us. He writes about the Cavs for FearTheSword.com. You can hear him on the Cavalytics podcast, which I enjoy. And if you're on Twitter, you'll regularly see him uh, on the days after big games, putting together video threads, breaking down key plays. Mike, you're everywhere. Uh, I dare say the sun never sets on the Zavagno empire. Thanks for joining us.
2: Oh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, before we get into the cab stuff, I I have to relay a story here. You know, whenever we have a guest on, um, I like to try try to do my homework a little bit, do a little bit of research, put a bio together and whatnot. And uh, I did a search for you today on Google. I was searching your name. And, you know, when you start typing in uh, a search, you, you know, Google will start spitting back search results for you. And. Uh, the autocomplete for this, the first one I got was the rest of your name. The second one was a link to your Twitter account, which okay, you're pretty active on there. The third result was Mike Zavagno, Taylor Swift, and I had no idea what this was about, and I was curious, so I had to, you know, go ahead and click on this and see what was uh, where we were going with all of this. And apparently, um, another Mike Zavagno uh, gave an interview to Page Six. The uh, that was me, yeah. Wait, that was you?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we were down in the Virgin Islands on vacation, and um, we saw Taylor Swift when we were coming into customs, and she was leaving customs, and uh, took took some pictures of her, myself, and uh, my friend Jake, and so we like. Sent those pictures in because it turned out that she had like broken up with Harry Styles at the exact same, right, same right, time. Right, right, right. Yeah, so people like wanted to see these pictures, and we had no idea at the time. We were just like taking pictures of Taylor Swift, and then you know, ex post, we had to go back in and like tell everybody that she looked really sad and all this kind of stuff. But it was pretty <laughs> hysterical. Yeah, that that was uh, that was an interesting time.
0: That's hilarious. See, like the story, like page six, the the tabloid, they just refer to you by your name with no other context. So, like who you are or anything about you. And I'm like, this has to be somebody else, but it was actually you. That's, that's unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was me. Uh, Taylor. (laughs) It's a far more interesting tidbit than I thought it was going to be. Known Taylor Swift photographer. It's too bad that we weren't dating or something. Then it would have been like Mike Zavagno, Taylor Swift. And you've been seeing like the, uh, you know, TMZ photos, but I think we've had enough of those for the week.
0: Oh God. Uh, Do we, do we even (laughs) want to get into that? I,
1: Ugh. Oh. I, I don't particularly care about it, but I mean, whatever. Would you want to? I
0: I don't. Unless Mike, you have any strong feelings about any no, of the? No, so,
1: definitely not. Nope. All right. Mike's, Mike's a well-known paparazzi, so he can uh, he can identify. <laughs> apparently, I'm
0: yeah, blown away.
2: I, I, I know the hustle of these people. You know, waiting on the streets to take these photos. Clearly,
0: oh my god, I. I I was not prepared for you to say that that was you that did that. That is absolutely unbelievable, but.
1: Okay. This is a fantastic quote. I just have to throw it in. She looked really sad and lonely, really down. Zvagno told page <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic.
0: Legendary. Well, I'll tell you what though, that is a perfect segue for the fact that uh, let, let's get into the Cav season. Cause this has certainly been a strange and unusual ride Since November, Mike, I think you were the one I saw on Twitter that said this has been about four or five different seasons in one. What do you make of the Cavs as we sit here on April 12th, uh, getting ready for the playoffs to start? Just knowing where the season started, who it started with and where we're at now.
2: I tried to break the season down into four different distinct parts. Uh, At one point in time, I was thinking about, you know, writing about those distinct parts and then people kept coming back at me with dividing it even more parts, you know, so some people were dividing it into seven, eight, nine different aspects, you know, based on who was healthy, who was hurt, you know, who was traded when Isaiah Thomas was playing the long winning streak in, in the beginning of the year. So it's certainly been a, a complete and total roller coaster ride. I guess, you know, we've come to expect nothing less with this team, but I mean, even more so than probably previous years, just with the crazy roster turnover that we've seen, but, you know, going into the playoffs, I, I feel pretty good. Um, I think that the Cavs are in a in a solid spot Um, I would have liked to see them get the three seed personally but I don't think that that matters a ton I mean I think that Indiana is probably the best matchup for them in round one and that may have played into what they were thinking but I mean I I think that the Cavs are in a a good spot Uh, they appear like they're going to be healthy for you know game one and I think that that's kind of most important for them and you know we'll see how this goes but I, I feel pretty confident at the moment.
0: What do you even make of this roster, Oak? So they're going to be healthy going into game one on Sunday afternoon. I think since the trade deadline, that's the first time we can say that, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, It looks as if Rodney Hood will be a go. And, you know, with Calderon and Hill both back recently, it appears like everybody's going to be fired up and and ready to go. Uh, You know, Coach Lou said that they're looking at a 10-man rotation. Um, It seems as if that will be, you know, Love, Green, LeBron, Hood, and Hill in the starting lineup. And then uh, off the bench, Nance, uh, Corver, Smith, uh, Clarkson, and Calderon, based on uh, Lou's comments today about always wanting to play Clarkson with another point guard. And so uh, I think that we probably see Tristan Thompson uh, phased out of the rotation, obviously, along with, uh, you know, Jetty and Ante Zizic. Um, but it, it appears like the Cavs kind of are, are locked into, you know, nine to 10 guys there. And maybe they might make adjustments as series go on and, you know, things happen. But uh, it appears that they've kind of made that difficult decision with regard to Tristan.
0: So you think Tristan's out of the rotation? That was going to be one of my questions I had for you because, Boy, he, uh, you, you think back to just two years ago during the run of the championship, what an integral part of the puzzle he was for them. And you know, he's, the injuries have obviously piled up since then. But uh, it, it is hard for me to believe that he's going to be out of it entirely uh, going into this uh, postseason.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that you know him playing 30 minutes against the Knicks is probably a decent indicator of what the Cavs think about him. Um, you know, with, with Jeff green starting and that being solidified and obviously Kevin love being center in those lineups, it's pretty difficult to play both Thompson and Nance, um, You know, we saw them play together a bit. I thought that that was disastrous, as one could have expected, especially on the offensive end. And so you kind of get into a bit of a minutes crunch there uh, by way of Jeff Green starting. And, you know, I think that it's pretty clear, at least in my eyes, that Larry Nance is certainly in a better spot right now than Tristan Thompson. Uh, The Cavs have been much better with Nance on the floor as compared to Thompson. And, you know, it it stinks for Thompson just because a lot of it has been, you know, him dealing with these calf injuries and, you know, things constantly. Constantly nagging, but he just doesn't look like the same guy out there, and I don't think that the Cavs can, you know, withstand him kind of getting beat off the dribble a bunch and just not being explosive on the offensive end come playoff time.
1: In this this series against Indiana, you see, you just mentioned that you think it's probably the best matchup they could have gotten. Um I, I think what's what's LeBron's current first round streak at? Like twenty one games or something like that? Yeah. 21 uh, any games. chance that you
2: think that ends this year? Uh, No, I'm picking the Cavs in four. Um, I've seen, I put up a poll today on Twitter, like 47% of people are picking Cavs in five. Um, But, you know, I just, as I said, I turned in my uh, preview column here and uh, I I went with Cavs in four and I actually feel pretty strongly about that. So uh, not just saying Cavs in four to say Cavs in four.
0: People love a good gentleman sweep. I I think I voted in that poll and put uh, Cavs in five. Um, that was my thinking anyway, but, uh, just kind of getting back to the, the, you know, the front court, you know, are you surprised that Jeff Green has pretty much got a stranglehold on a spot in the starting lineup and just kind of the minutes that he's getting?
2: Um, I, I, in one case, I guess I would say I'm surprised solely because he's Jeff Green. Um, (laughs) but you know, from a deeper perspective, when you look at the Cavs roster construction, I think that it starts to make more sense why Jeff Green is in this role. I mean, you look at you know what the Cavs are trying to do on the defensive end, and it's very clear that LeBron James is not going to guard the other team's best wing player. Um, it, it seems to me as if they view George Hill as solely a point guard defender. Uh, they're not going to try him on twos and threes. Think that eliminates him from guarding guys like Old Depot, DeRozan, Giannis, Ben Simmons. Uh, in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And so your options kind of come down to, well, are you going to have Jr. do it? Um, you know, he's clearly struggled on the defensive end mightily this year. Uh, are you going to have Chetty do it? Um, you know, he's a rookie. He's been inconsistent. Uh, not sure that the Cavs trust him in that role. And so you're really looking at, at either Rodney Hood or Jeff Green to fill that role. And, you know, Rodney Hood just isn't that good of a non-ball defender um you know he he gets beat off the dribble a decent amount i think he's a fairly solid uh off-ball defender against shooters i think he gets over screens well but you know he's not very quick laterally i think it's a complaint that utah fans had with him for a while is that he seems to have the defensive tools but really can't put it you know the tools together in the toolbox and so when you take that all into account and you know maybe i've just kind of accepted it more than, than other people, because I kind of forced myself to, but uh, from, from that perspective, it seems as if like, you know, Jeff green is kind of vital because of the way the roster is constructed to be the guy that's going to guard Victor Oladipo in the first round, DeMar DeRozan in the second round, you know, Ben Simmons, if they get there or Giannis, if they get there and then, you know, looking at the finals, Kevin Durant, James Harden. I mean, I think that those are guys that the Cavs are seeing as primarily Jeff green's matchups.
0: Yeah. It kind of seems like Jeff green is become the guy that is uh, almost uh, by default turned into what the Cavs probably envisioned Jay Crowder being before the season started.
2: Yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, you've seen it even with Richard Jefferson to a degree the last couple of years. um, You know, even when LeBron was in Miami, Shane Battier was in that role. And so there's always kind of been a guy who teams that LeBron has been on have wanted to start next to him to take a little bit of the burden off of him defensively, kind of allow James to roam a bit on the defensive end and then obviously save his reserves for the offensive end. And so, as you said, I think Jay Crowder was certainly the plan Um, but now it looks like Jeff green is, is stepping into that role.
1: All right. You mentioned just now sort of, uh, defensively how everyone, how the roles are all going to fit in and whatnot. Um, Tyloo yesterday said he expected the defense to look, um, I don't remember the exact words, but it seemed like you think they were going to be considerably better come the playoffs for whatever reason. Um, Is that, is that even, is that even a reasonable expectation? Um, I mean, they might be slightly better, but I don't know. They've been pretty piss poor, quite honestly. Um, Defensively, obviously at times they've looked good, but how much better do you, do we think
2: they can really be in the playoffs? You know, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I think a lot of that hinges on where LeBron is on the defensive end. I mean, he really, you know, Being generous, he hasn't tried on defense since December. Uh, Probably being realistic, he hasn't tried on defense since last season. Um, And so because of that, it's kind of difficult for me to envision exactly, you know, where he's going to be, whether he's lost a step on that end or not. Um, You know, if he's going to be completely engaged, protecting the rim, closing out to shooters, then I think that the Cavs could get significantly better. You know, if he's going to be a step below that, I don't think that the improvement will be significant. Um we've seen from Tai Lu in the past, you know, his mantra come playoff time is usually, you know take the ball out of the opponent's best player's hands. I think that that strategy works very well against an Indiana team that really has one creator in Victor Oladipo. Uh, I expect them to blitz him at the point of attack, uh, try to get the ball out of his hands and make other guys make plays and make guys like that young Lance Stevenson, um, maybe even miles Turner, Sabonis, guys like that, you know, either make decisions or make jump shots. And I think that, just the way that Indiana sets up as a team, they kind of play right into that hand.
0: You know, um, but we got a, a classic Lance Stevenson moment the other night. Uh, was that uh, was it Dwight Howard that he blocked with the chase down and stood there? free <laughs> stood in. there
1: while another guy came clean. <laughs> <Yeah. court. laughs> it's, it's one of the most Lance Stevenson plays you'll ever see.
0: Oh, classic. You know, the one thing I was just going to say about the defense is it does feel like as the season has gone on, and I'm not to say that the Cavs have suddenly become some sort of a lockdown unit or anything like that, but it does feel like their defensive rating has picked up a little bit over the last month or two, and especially when you get guys like Larry Nance on the floor. And I think he's kind of made a real nice difference for them. Um, Is that fair to say? Do the numbers back up what I'm saying here?
2: Yeah, um, Cavs' defensive rating since the trade deadline with Nance on the floor is 103.5. Uh, Cavs' defensive rating with Nance off the floor is uh, about 112.
0: Yeah, okay. That sounds about right then. Um, you know, and back to Jeff Green, the last thing I was going to say about him, and I, I think I've kind of made peace like like you have, that he's going to be uh, playing a significant role. Um, the one thing that's kind of terrified me is watching him settle for three-point shots when... Uh, he couldn't throw the ball in the ocean standing on a pier, but uh, it feels like a little bit in the last couple of games, he's actually started to knock a few down is Kyle Corver who we heard has uh, been working with him. Is he just the, uh, the, the shot whisperer or, or uh, cause I don't feel like he's the first guy that is necessarily uh or I, I feel like Jeff green is not the first guy who's had his shot rescued by Corver. It's kind of an, a fun subplot with the Cavs.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, Green, he's 9 of 19 uh, over the last seven games from three, which puts him at 47%. Um, you know, obviously 19 tiny sample size. Uh, I saw some stuff on film that I thought looked a bit better. Um, it, it seemed as if he was inconsistent with those changes, though, and and therefore it's kind of hard to say what to expect. Uh, I think that you're honestly just hoping that he gets a little bit hot from three, you know, over a, a month span, basically, here. Uh, I'm not sure that this is like a long-term fix or a long-term solution, but you know, if he can suddenly even get to like league average from three, just over the course of this playoff run, I think that it really unlocks a lot of things for the Cavs.
0: All right. So Jeff Green's the one guy that at the start of the season, I would not have expected to see in a postseason rotation for the Cavs. The other guy who it seems like is going to be getting some minutes here that I would not have expected is Jose Calderon. And I'm as guilty as anyone, of knocking that signing last summer I I thought it was ludicrous to be going out and signing him when you had limited assets to work with uh, on the first day of free agency but uh, he's been shockingly effective this year and and it feels like he's actually earned a spot and I'm just kind of wondering your thoughts in terms of how much we can expect out of him and and what's fair to expect out of him because you know regular season basketball and NBA playoff basketball are two entirely different things here.
2: Yeah, um, no, I'm with you. I mean, Calderon has just been kind of uh, expectation-defying, and his ability to, you know, just lead to winning plays, I guess. And um, uh, it seems to me as if the goal, at least here, is to play Calderon and Clarkson together. uh, Following the, you know, comments by Ty Lue, and just generally what it what it seems to be trending towards is that the Cavs essentially see Clarkson as a better off-ball guard than point guard. I think that they want Calderon to kind of be like the adult in the room, you know, make (laughs) sure the team gets into sets, make sure Clarkson isn't just kind of getting out of control. Um, Clarkson still has a really high usage rate. I think it's right around 28% when he shares the floor with Calderon, so I'm not sure how successful that is. Um, I I don't really know what the Cavs' plan is. I assume that it either involves Kevin Love playing with the bench or LeBron playing with the bench as we've seen in past playoffs. LeBron's been playing the twelve minute first and third quarters almost the entire season now. So it'll be interesting to see if they make a change there, if they're just trying to slide Kevin Love in. But um yeah, I think that Calderon's just gonna continue to play off the bench. Um, I think that, you know, he's just gonna be solid and the Cavs are gonna hope that, you know, he's gonna kind of steward the offense through the minutes that LeBron doesn't play.
1: Okay, so who who obviously rotations get a little bit shorter in the playoffs. Is there anybody that you think people will be surprised that is kind of just gonna
2: disappear? People that we're not gonna see at all? Um, I I mean I would think Tristan Thompson, for one, um I don't think that he's gonna play much, if at all. Um, you know, maybe they unearth him if they need him, if there's foul trouble, stuff like that. Um, but I think that, you know, a lot of the time, especially against the Pacers, the Cavs are going to force the opposing team to go small as opposed to the opposing team forcing the Cavs to go big. It's it's really hard for a lot of these traditional centers to deal with Kevin Love, and so you know if you're not going to play a ton of center minutes for your starter against Kevin Love, then you're not going to play a ton of st- center minutes for your backup, and so it just seems hard for me to get Thompson on the floor. Um, after Thompson, I think that the Cavs still believe in J.R. Smith. I wonder if his minutes are cut down or if his minutes are kind of monitored based on, you know, how he looks in the first couple shooting the basketball. Uh, I still have concerns about him on the defensive end. And if they're going to play Calderon and Clarkson, uh, then you kind of get into a little bit of a bind off the bench where you have essentially four guards in those two guys, Smith and Corver and only one big in Nance. So it's possible that J.R. Smith's minutes are significantly reduced, but you know, he's also been shooting the ball really well lately. So I think a lot of it just hinges on whether or not kind of he's putting the ball in the basket.
0: Yeah. It almost feels like he's kind of possibly saved his spot in the rotation with the way he played down, down the stretch. Um, all right. So what, what else do we need to know about the Pacers? You, you obviously Victor Oladipo had a very nice season for them and, you know, you'd kind of laid out that he's, going to drive everything for them um, beyond Oladipo um, or even if you want to get into more depth on him, but just uh, what else do we need to know about Indiana?
2: Yeah, I think that the, the biggest things, I guess, start on the offensive end, you know, with Oladipo as the engine. Um, A lot of what they do is just going to be, you know, high ball screen action. Uh, They ran the fourth most ball screens in the NBA this season uh, as a team. Um, the, a lot of it is for Old Depot or Collison, sometimes Corey Joseph. Uh they take the most mid-range jumpers in the NBA. Uh it, it was the reason that their offense really struggled after the all-star break. They went down to 23rd in offensive rating. Uh they shot only 39% from the mid-range. Old depot and Turner really struggled from there. Uh their offense is really predicated on those shots. It's kind of crazy to watch on film, you know, comparing them to even the Cavs or say like the Rockets, some of these extreme Moriball teams, the Rockets, the nets where the, you know, those are the shots that they're trying to avoid. And the, the Pacers will step into those very willingly. Um, you know, Miles Turner is a guy who's going to pick and pop a lot more than he's going to pick and roll. Uh, he struggled shooting the ball after the all-star break, but he could potentially be a threat from out there. Um, and, you know, Bogdanovich and Carlson are great three point shooters, but they just don't take a ton of threes. And I think that, you know, in the regular season, it was about a nine points per game difference from behind the arc between the Cavs and the Pacers. And uh, it's going to be hard for them. I think to keep up if they don't suddenly increase their three point shooting attempts.
0: You know, we've not talked uh, a whole lot about LeBron to this point. You know, you're kind of talking a little bit about his defensive effort uh, through much of the season, but, uh, you know, at the offensive end, this is pretty close to as good of a season as I think we've seen from him in his career. I think he set uh, an all-time career best in rebounds and assists, uh, best scoring average in, what, about seven or eight years, uh, most triple-doubles. Um, can you just kind of quantify, like, I, it's I you know, it almost gets old to say at this point that, like, wow, LeBron James is amazing, but um, you're 15, uh, you know, just an incredible season all around, it feels like.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's been unbelievable. Um, you know, he led the league in assists on three-pointers and assists on corner three-pointers. Um, he, he's obviously in total command of the game with both his scoring and his passing. Um it really seems as if he's, you know, peaking at the right time as well. He's been basically insane since the trades. And, you know, the three-point shot looks solid. Um, I think that that's going to always continue to be a key. He's definitely shooting it with confidence outside of that January stretch. He was essentially around 40% from three for the season. And so I think that that's, uh, you know, something that if he continues to shoot that well, is going to carry the Cavs uh, through the playoffs. But yeah, as you said, I mean, it's hard to really quantify what he's been doing. He's just been completely unbelievable. Um, some of these games, like the Sixers game, even though they went down so much in the first half, like the second half, he just decided to completely and totally take over the game. Uh, he's ruthlessly attacking guys who can't guard him on switches. And um, I, I think that he's in total control right now, especially with love at center to space the floor. Uh, he's you know gotten a runway to the rim a, a lot of the time.
0: And I bring all this up as a precursor. You know, it's something we don't really like to dwell on too much. But the fact of the matter is he's probably going to be uh, a free agent after the year. And, um, you know, I I don't want to get nostalgic here uh, prematurely, but, you know, we're not going to have this forever. Whether he sticks around for the rest of his career or whether this is the last run, Um, I I just I get the feeling like we're going to see something really special here in the postseason over the next two hopefully two and a half months and uh I, I i'm cautiously optimistic
2: yeah i mean we'll you know we'll see what happens but uh you know i like a lot of the stuff that they've been doing when healthy uh love hill and james have a 130 offensive rating together uh love since coming back from injury when he's on the floor the Cavs have a 123 offensive rating so I mean, the offense is just kind of throwing daggers right now. I mean, loves shooting 46% from three since he came back. He improved the range and versatility on his shot. Uh, You know, he's been shooting these really deep threes, sometimes, you know, 30, 35 feet behind the line. And so – uh, I think that there's just a lot to like with the spacing that they found. And, you know, this is a team that's going to be difficult to stop uh, for really anyone. And, you know, if you're not going to stop them, then it kind of makes the conversations that people constantly have about the Cavs defense and all the hand wringing. there fairly irrelevant because, you know, if you're putting up a 120 offensive rating in most of these games, there, there aren't a lot of teams that have the firepower to keep up with you.
0: Once upon a time, Sasha Pavlovic said, "My offense is my defense," and was run out of town <laughs> on a rail. And here we are in the year of our Lord, twenty eighteen, and uh, that is uh, going to be the mantra that uh, perhaps takes us to the promised land. All right, Mike, let's uh, let's go around the horn here, around the rest of the league. Um, let's start in uh, in the East. We got Toronto, top seed in the Eastern Conference, playing Washington, the eight. Uh, that does not feel like a traditional one-eight matchup.
2: No, I think that, you know, Washington has shown some really high highs and some really high lows or low lows this year. I mean, you can even see it over the course of that Cavs game where they played unbelievable uh, for two quarters. They played horrendous for two quarters, and the Cavs ended up winning. So it, it really depends what Washington team shows up. I don't really think that they have a great answer for DeMar DeRozan. It looks like they're going to use Otto Porter based on what we've seen this season. Um, he, he, hasn't done a great job on DeRozan. He's been okay, but I think that, you know, when push comes to shove, the Raptors bench, uh, is really going to bother the Wizards bench. The Wizards just aren't a deep team. Uh, obviously they're starters. You're probably going to want wall and Beal out there for 40 minutes a piece. Uh, Porter with that calf injury, we'll have to see how much he can play, but I, I mean, the, the Raptors bench, I think, is just significantly better than the Wizards bench. I think that they should be able to continue to play with energy and effort. And I think that this is a series where they can really succeed. Um, and so I, I think that Toronto definitely should be favored in that series. But, you know, as you said, I wouldn't call it like a sweep or anything like that.
0: All right. And then the 2-7, we've got the Celtics and the Bucks. Uh, a little disappointed, honestly, with what we saw out of the Bucks this year. I thought they were going to be more of a factor. Um, what do you make of that team, and what do you make of their chances uh, against Boston here in the first round?
2: You know, the Bucks just seem to be quite confusing. You know, they they have a lot of talent, but they just can't seem to put things together. They take dumb shots. Uh, you know, they don't space the floor very well. Um, you know, even a guy like Chris Milton, who's a great three point shooter, insists on taking more mid range shots than threes, and so. You kind of look at a weird team. Um, I think that, you know, Brad Stevens certainly has a significant advantage over Joe Prunty in that coaching matchup. I expect him to be ready for Giannis. I think it'll be interesting to watch exactly how uh, the Celtics end up playing Giannis, but I'm sure Stevens will have a great plan. You know, I think that this is a really tough series to call because you want to pick the box because they have more talent and, you know, the Celtics are missing so many guys, but at the same point in time, i really struggle to trust the box. I, it's just it's just tough for me to think that you know this is a team that can get it done and Boston's really been dependent on their three point shooting since they lost Kyrie Irving and when they're making them they're really good and when they're missing them they're really bad so I think that that series is really kind of up in the air it might go seven and you know I think that it could kind of go either way.
0: All right, then the other remaining series in the Eastern Conference we have the Sixers uh, playing Miami and uh, be honest that uh, Philadelphia is kind of become this year what i thought milwaukee might become and boy they are just uh, like a bat out of hell here with a 16 game winning streak uh coming into uh, the playoffs uh do you expect miami to give them any difficulty at all
2: yeah i think that miami is actually a tougher matchup for Philly than either Milwaukee or Washington would have been. Um, They've played four times this year. They split the games 2 two. Uh, The games have been very close. Uh, D Wade hit a buzzer beater to win one of them. Um, But the formula, at least defensively for Miami appears to be better than a lot of teams. I mean, they have multiple guys that you can throw at Simmons, whether it's a James Johnson uh, whether it's a Justice Winslow, potentially even downsizing a bit and going with Josh Richardson. Uh, Richardson can chase Reddick around screens and, you know, he- Whiteside and Bam have done a decent job against Embiid as well. And so uh, I don't know if Miami can score enough to make it a factor, but at least from the defensive end, I think that, uh, you know, they can give Philly some trouble again, Eric Spolstra, a great coach. I'm sure he's going to have a great plan for Simmons. And, you know, we don't know when Embiid's coming back. So if he misses game one and the Heat steal game, game one all of a sudden you're looking at a different
0: series yeah that was gonna be my next question i saw Embiid rocking the mask the other night but uh not heard in terms of when he will be uh, taking the floor again uh trevor are you back with us yeah i think so all right there he is
1: hey hey here i am
0: do you have any eastern um, conference questions
1: yeah i guess specifically so i guess traditional wisdom would tell you that toronto should be if not the favorite just because of the, the Cavs track record over the last two years and having LeBron the second favorite, but it seems like a lot of people are trending towards Philadelphia and because of how, um, because of how uh, Lowry and DeRozan have performed in the playoffs traditionally that maybe they're not that much of a threat. A, do you think the Cavs are should be the odds on favorite to get out? And if, if, if yes, who, who's I guess second? Who's the biggest threat to them? If no, who's, who do you, who would you say is the favorite?
2: Yeah, um, no, I do think that the Cavs should be the favorite. Um, you no, know, I think that the Cavs are in a good space right now. Um, I think that you know when healthy, they've looked really good on the floor. I think LeBron's in a great zone. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I would say that the Cavs are the favorite. But I personally have been picking Philly to beat toronto since like january um i live in philly i've been to a decent amount of games this year and i just think that they've you know toronto doesn't really have a lot of answers for what philly does well uh, i'm not confident that the raptors bench is going to perform well in the playoffs i know that i just said that they beat washington's bench pretty well but you know washington's such a, th- a thin team they don't really have a lot of talent off their bench so i think you know going forward i that's you know where where it kind of would be an issue. And obviously now that Philly doesn't even have to play Toronto, unless it's in the Eastern conference finals with, with the Cavs out of the picture that that pod sets up pretty easily for them. You know, if they get by the heat, they play the winner of bucks Celtics. And I, I don't think that either of those teams are really a, a significant threat to Philly. So, you know, we could easily be trending towards kind of a, a Cavs Philly Eastern conference finals that has the old guard versus the new, which I'm sure would be a great storyline for the NBA.
0: I'm sure ESPN would uh, thoroughly enjoy having that as their uh, Eastern Conference series here. Um, Let's shift over to the West. Uh, We've got uh, Houston as the top seed, um, and they will be taking on Minnesota. We saw the Timberwolves get in with a a winner-take-all game last night at home against Denver. Uh, Long time coming for the Timberwolves getting back into the playoffs. Uh, What do you make of this matchup?
2: Yeah, I think people have discussed this uh, at length already, but, you know, Minnesota just can't stop Houston, like, flat out. I mean, Houston had a 130 offensive rating against Minnesota this year um they just have so many guys that houston can just go downhill against in the pick and roll uh and they trade threes for twos uh they just don't shoot a lot of threes houston obviously shoots a ton of threes and you know while towns might be a difficult matchup for houston in some instances i I just don't think that minnesota has anywhere near the firepower to keep up with houston
0: would denver have given them any more trouble i don't think so Okay, so it really, last night, <laughs> for all the drama and excitement of that game uh, to get that eighth seed, probably was all a moot point once uh, the playoffs start here this weekend. Um, but let's move on then, uh, Golden State, San Antonio, uh, in terms of name value, those are two uh, stalwarts of the Western Conference, but uh, obviously... San Antonio's had a pretty strange year of their own, the Spurs, with Kawhi Leonard. Um, any sort of indication that we might see him play at all in this series? I haven't heard anything. Okay. And uh, Steph is uh, definitely out for Golden State.
2: Right? That's, that's what I've heard, yeah. Okay.
0: So... That's, uh, that's some star power on each side that's going to be missing. Obviously, uh, it's a little deeper roll call for uh, Golden State. Um, what do you make of this series? I think
2: Golden State uh, is probably quite happy with drawing the Spurs. Um, I think that they would have had much more trouble with any of the other lower-seeded teams uh, in the bracket. I think that everything kind of shook out extremely well for them. Even if you look at the second round, I think that Portland and new Orleans are probably the two other weakest teams. I think that golden state would have been worried if they had to play either Utah or Oklahoma city in that second round. And so, you know, somehow they kind of come out of this looking like they have the easiest path to the finals in the West.
0: Light years ahead, golden state, Uh, some things never change. Um, OKC and uh, um, Utah uh, Jazz pretty interesting team especially with where they were at the middle uh, of the season right
2: yeah I mean it's been a tremendous turnaround I know a lot of people have been um, you know singing the praises of Quinn Snyder for coach of the year they finished the year 27 and 6 so Um, It's going to be an interesting series. Uh, You know, Utah isn't one of the teams that necessarily, like, gets out of their offense to attack a weak defender. Um, Obviously, Carmelo Anthony has faced that a lot this year. It'll be interesting to see what Quinn Snyder draws up. Um, And, you know, whether or not Russell Westbrook can challenge Rudy Gobert at the rim will be the other question. Um, My hope is that Oklahoma City puts Paul George on Donovan Mitchell. I really want to see that matchup. Um, I, I think that that's what they'll do At least to close games But I'm really interested to watch Mitchell Try to uh, you know, contend with Georgia's defense Which has been uh, incredible all season So uh, again, I think that this is one of the closer series I personally think I would favor Oklahoma City a little bit But I think that this might be the most interesting one Of the entire round
0: Alright, and uh, less interesting Considering what would be waiting the winner in round two But uh, Portland- and uh i'm blanking new orleans new orleans yeah okay so the pelicans they, they should have been left for dead when boogie went down in the middle of the year uh, how have they remade their roster and and what can we look for in that series
2: yeah anthony davis obviously has has been incredible um you know one of the probably top four mvp guys uh in the league he's just kind of put this team on his back Drew holiday has also been quite good and You know, Nicole Miritich really struggled to shoot when he initially came to New Orleans. He's looked a lot better now. Uh, New Orleans was finally closing with him in the starting lineup uh, in some of their games late in the year. Um, It'll be interesting to see if they start him or if they start Okafor um, in the first round. I think that Davis poses a ton of matchup problems uh, for Portland. On the flip side, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum are definitely, you know, one of them is going to pose a great matchup problem for Rajon Rondo. Uh, So I think that this is a will probably be an extremely offensive series. Um, You know, probably a a lot of high scoring back and forth games. uh, Probably not a ton of defense. Um, It'll be you know imperative for Portland to win the minutes that Anthony Davis sits, and we'll see how not having Mo Harkless in the series will ultimately affect them, but. You know, I think that this this would be a series I would consider taking New Orleans in if they had home court. But Portland's crowds seem awesome, and I think that they can uh, probably carry the day. Just you know, with with some of those home games.
0: Yeah, Portland seems like a building that would be fun to as a visiting NBA fan to just kind of check out once. Um, all right, Trav. Any more questions for Mike? Yeah,
1: does anybody have a chance to get out of the
2: West other than Houston and Golden State? Um. Nah, I don't think so. You know, I would have liked it a lot better if Golden State, you know, had to play one of these more difficult teams, but, you know, somehow they just ended up with this incredibly easy path, and uh, it's hard for me to envision, you know, any of these teams beating them uh, until the Western Conference Finals, you know, regardless of kind of Curry's health status, and... So if they would have had to face like a Utah or an Oklahoma City or something like that, I think that we would have uh, been talking about something different. But, you know, it just kind of seems as if they, they got the best luck possible.
0: Well, I'm we're, we're probably six or seven weeks away from it happening, but I am super interested to see how a, a Golden State and Houston series would shake out because uh, that just has all the makings of a war.
1: Yeah, so we know that Curry's not playing the first round. Do we know that he's
2: playing the second? Um,
1: I've I mean, heard they've kind that, of been pretty quiet about it, right?
2: Yeah. I've heard that he's getting reevaluated on Saturday. I believe uh, that'll be his like first evaluation since the injury. Um, and I think dunked on there talking about how Curry really isn't like doing a lot right now. Um, I wonder, you know, if they kind of ramp him up, you know, as needed, whether or not they're you know, playing poorly, say if they're winning the series, you know, maybe they even go into the second round and they play the first game and, you know, kind of see what happens. But there there have been no indications, at least, that he's like 110 percent coming back for the second round. So, you know, who knows, I guess.
0: That's one of those things where that favorable draw that you were talking about that they got, they could probably bring him back at a little bit more comfortable pace and not feel any sort of pressure to try to rush him back too soon. So, uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. But, Mike, this has been awesome, man. I really appreciate you taking the time and joining us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it, guys. All right. So, you are uh, on fearthesword.com. You're on the Cavalytics podcast. And your Twitter Twitter handle is what? Uh, Mzavagno11. Is that right?
2: That is correct. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, man. All righty. Appreciate it.
0: All right. And as for us, you can always catch our show on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play, and we're also on Stitcher. And uh, if you're streaming on your desktop, check us out on Waiting for Next Year. Dot com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. We're on Twitter at The Nail Podcast. Our thanks again to Mike Zivagno. Uh Looking forward to getting started here with the playoffs this weekend. For uh, Travis Julie, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon.
3: Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible.